0: Are you ready to spend the night in a haunted McDonald's? A man makes a terrible decision and pays for it $1 a week. And then we travel to England, where we meet a man who's trying to outrun a German bombing raid and instead runs right into the long furry paws of a demon cat. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I really do. I hope you guys are having an awesome day. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're just going to get started here. First off, I got to say thanks to my newest Patreon, McCall Bong LaBall. Thank you so much, McCall. I actually asked, hey, dude, can you tell me how to pronounce your name? And he sent me a vocal file, so I really, really appreciate that. It's always helpful when I know how to pronounce your guys' names. So thank you. And it's also helpful when you guys support the Patreon. I really, really enjoy that. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine. Just help get the word out about the show. That helps out a lot as well. So we're going to toss McCall the keys to the Carpenter Copter. Go ahead and grab those keys. We are first flying off to Pueblo, Colorado. We're flying. We're going to fly low. I want to enjoy the mesas and the ground and stuff. Isn't... uh. Wait, no, I'm thinking of Arizona. Never mind, go up, go up. I was thinking like it was all like, you know, like magical Sedona, Arizona stuff. Colorado's just a bunch of mountains. I'm used to mountains. Take us up high, McCall. (INS) Flying over. And we're going to land in the parking lot of a McDonald's. It's 3.30 a.m. Super spooky, right? That's the spooky time. Now... We're putting on our McDonald's employees uniforms because we're actually working at McDonald's right now and we're loving it. We walk in, we're saying hey to our buddies. We should all get a job together. We should just all have, I guess that's a cult. Never mind. I'm like, we should all move to a commune and grow potatoes. We're all hanging out at this McDonald's, dancing around. We have a dunk tank built over the deep fryer. You're like, Jason, this is a terrible idea. It's only a terrible idea if I'm able to hit the target. Throwing potatoes. Do they actually have potatoes there? We're doing all sorts of stuff at this McDonald's. We're doing the twist on the tables. The real employees there are quite disturbed. But they're not really disturbed by our antics. Even though we're super annoying at this McDonald's. This is a McDonald's in Pueblo, Colorado. And this just happened on February 13th, 2020. The employees, it's 3.30 a.m. The employees are working on this McDonald's. I'm assuming it's a 24-hour McDonald's. But it's possible they're just the cleaning crew. And they hear outside in the darkness surrounding this McDonald's. you got the big, expansive parking lot. Parking lot lights shining down. Just singular circles of light trying to cut swaths through the pitch blackness. And while they're cleaning up, they hear over the bustling noise of a bunch of young McDonald's crew people doing McDonald's crew stuff. What in, what in the world was that? Did you hear that? Turn off that deep fryer. Turn it down. Turn it down. Did you hear that? My other employees like, I, I heard something. Sounded like it was saying something, but not in any language that I, I know. They hear barking now from outside the McDonald's. But it's not the sound of a dog. It's the sound of a human barking. Which is more terrifying. I mean, unless it's like a little kid doing it and they're like, Look at me, I'm Paw Patrol. Ruff, ruff, ruff. You're just like, that's not what a dog sounds like, idiot. And you, then you correct them. But if you're like, if you're in the middle of a darkened area and you hear a dog bark, you probably won't even register it you're in the middle of a darkened area and you hear a human bark, you're going to be a little concerned. So now they've heard a strange language, human barking, and then a woman screaming. But I'm going to assume, one, it was louder than that. I'm trying to save your eardrums. And two, it didn't sound like the mom from All in the Family screaming. That actually would be super creepy. You'd be like, what? And then they hear just general demonic sounds. So, any one of those, you'd be like, meth head, and you go back to, like, scrubbing dishes. Hear a woman screaming, you'd be like, uh, hopefully that's someone's just playing around. Hopefully that's not, like, a real terrified scream. If you hear a weird language, you're like, I don't know. Could just be some people who are new to the neighborhood. Who (laughs) are apparently from, uh, from Demonville. Demonville, USA. They're not from around here. But all of those pushed together, you're thinking something's wrong. They call the police. And you can imagine the cop. If I was a cop, I'd love to get calls like that, dude. I would be like, oh, great. Another meth head's beating up a telephone pole. But when someone's like, hey, I think there's a ghost outside McDonald's. I'm like, step on it, boys. Driving all the way over there. Get out of the way, evil people are bank robbing banks. As I'm driving down the road, I'm like, I have no time for your petty crimes. Got a ghost to catch. The cops go out to the location and they're like, they check around. And they don't find anything. They don't find any meth heads. They don't find any uh, weirdos. They don't find any recent immigrants from Demonville. So they go back to the McDonald's people and they go, there's nothing out there. Like, we don't know what you heard, but there's nothing out there. So you're good to go. And the crew said, no, we will not leave this McDonald's until the sun comes up. Which, think about that for a second. Think about wherever you work come on man there's very few jobs where you want to keep working like if i'm working somewhere and and someone's painting too much i'm like oh i'm getting dizzy man i gotta go home i gotta go home early Uh," and then i walk out of (laughs) my and then i go home and i'm huffing paint i'm like if i'm gonna get high i'm gonna do it at home where i can start watching movies people will look for any excuse to go home right they could have been like this is too spooky I'm going to go home early and my boss isn't going to be able to do anything because there's monsters outside. No. They stayed at work longer than they had to. They could have went home, but they were like, no way. I'm way safer in this McDonald's that's all glass walls. This is my this is where I'm hanging out. So I've, I find that, to me, that makes it more believable, honestly. I think they heard something, definitely. But I think the fact that they heard it and it was so terrifying that they chose to stay at work. They figured they were safer inside of a McDonald's than making it to their car is a a sign that they heard something that terrifying. Because, again, I will look for any excuse to go home from work. Oh, no, that that dude over there sprained his ankle. Oh, sympathy, ankle pain. I better go home, man. But maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just a bad employee. But you know what I mean? The fact that they decided they not only stayed, but stayed until the sun came up. They stayed longer than their shift makes me think there really was something out there. They heard something out there. Now, our next one, it's it's kind of an interesting one. It's kind of a short one. I've had it ready to go for a long time, but I feel a need to talk about it today. December 31st, 1982. We're in Fairfax County, Virginia. There's a guy named Kevin Tunnell, 17 years old, young man, driving home from a New Year's Eve party. His friends go, dude, you're way too drunk. You're like, no, 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 man, I'm good. I'm good. Quote, nothing will ever happen to me. His friends are like, why did you just say quote? Why did you quote yourself? And he's like, I assume that that statement I just made will play a huge effect in my life. He's driving home drunk. He's super drunk. And at the same time, Susan Herzog is driving home as well. She's a mile from her house. She's sober. He hits her. Kills her. He survives. Charged with drunk driving. Charged with involuntary manslaughter. Gets found guilty. 1982 though was a different time. This was before Mothers Against Drunk Driving. This was before Dads Against Drunk Driving. Drunk driving was just a thing you did. It was a stupid decision you made. But there weren't all of the laws against. It. I mean, there were laws against it. But it was no. I mean, nowadays you can. It's bad. Like, you can serve some serious prison time. I know a guy who he was driving with his girlfriend and their friend. And he got in a car accident. They were visiting Arizona. They got in a car accident. And the friend died. And the driver was drunk. He was taken to jail. And within, like, a couple hours, he has to process all of this stuff. One, his best friend's dead. Two, he's facing 10, 15 years in prison this guy who'd never been in trouble with the law and his fiance who's actually i know the fiance more than i know him but the fiance is now in arizona and her friend is dead and her her fiance is in jail facing 10 15 years in prison and she has no way to get home anyway so it's totally different now i mean like you're when you get hit with that drunk driving charge you're like this and when you cause a fatality a regular drunk driving charge a regular drunk driving charge, I think, can even still just be, like, a year of, like, no, of no license and stuff like that. But when you kill someone in a drunk driving accident today, it's a big issue. Back then, he got three months probation and one-year community service. And there's a civil penalty. The judge goes, we're going to give you a civil penalty for this as well, because that's not right. The judge is like, that's ridiculous. So we're going to give you a civil penalty as well. You got three months probation. You got your one-year thing. The laws hadn't caught up to the the brutality of drinking and driving. Every week, Kevin Tunnell had to write a $1 check, mail it to her family. It only added up to $936. Not a lot of money, even back in 1982. But he couldn't do it. It broke him. 18 years every week, writing a check. Pay to the order of the Herzog family. Put it in an envelope. Susan Herzog. Family's address, drop it in the mail. Next week, pay to the order. A constant reminder. In 1990, he actually got um, thrown in jail for 30 days because he was stopped sending the checks. He did 30 days in jail, and then he gets out, and they're like, you have to keep sending these checks. You have to do it for 18 years. You got to send these checks. Susan Herzog was 18, by the way. She was 18, and that's why there's these, She has to, he has to write a check for every year she'd been alive. So every week he was reminded of that pain. One day he sent a box of checks that were pre-written out and says, here's the next couple months of checks plus an extra year of checks. I paid you an extra 52 bucks. Family sent it back. They said, no, you got to write a check every single week. Send it to us. And he said, you know, I'd be up at night. I'd hear something in my house and I'd think, she's here. Susan's in my house. Her ghost is coming to haunt me. He ended up completing his thing of writing the checks. He also does, uh, as of the writing of this article, which was a couple years ago, he was still doing community service stuff, talking to people about drunk driving. Susan's parents, they both joined Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving, they're not going to be like, no, sir, you're not allowed, obviously. All the help is needed. Their other daughter, after they had joined Mothers Against Drunk Driving, they had another daughter that got hit by a drunk driver has a permanent limp now, but is otherwise fine. Now, I I came across that story. I thought it was an interesting story about crime and punishment and the mental toll on people. The simple act of writing a check broke him to the point where he just couldn't do it. His quote was, you get to a point where you kind of snap and say, it hurts too much, you know, and all he's doing is writing stuff down. I know a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I could do X, Y, and Z. I could be like this total badass criminal... Anyone can be a badass criminal. It's a matter of living with it, not for the next week or next eight weeks. It's a matter of living it for the next 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Very, very few people can do that. Um, Generally, it does haunt you. And the thing with drunk driving is, it's not like, oh, look at me, I'm such a badass criminal. It's like, I'm trying to get home and I'm making a bad decision. It's not only affecting my life, it's affecting everyone else's life. And again... I've had this story probably a couple months now, just sitting in my notes, and I had a pull to do it today. So I'm assuming, I'm thinking maybe there's some listener out there that really needs to hear this before the weekend coming up. Or maybe you're hearing this story six months from now before you make a bad decision. Maybe you just discovered the podcast. Maybe this is the first episode you listen to. But I just had a feeling to record this segment today. I had a friend, my cousin actually, was paralyzed from the neck down due to drinking and driving, and then he was in his motorized wheelchair maybe about two or three years ago, and he was going through a parking lot on his way to my aunt's house for Taco Tuesday, and the truck was lifted and couldn't see him and backed up and knocked him over and he hit his head, and then he was like, I'm good, I'm good, the the guy gets out of the truck and helps right the chair up, and he's like, it was my cousin Chris, he goes, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, but the guy driver noticed he had blood coming out of his ears. Called the ambulance. He died at the hospital that night. Um, yeah. So I mean, drinking and driving is a serious. I mean, obviously, it might kind of sound trite, but um, I, I think hopefully this episode stops you. Stops you this one time. You might go. Oh, you know, what? I don't want to. I don't know. I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to tell this story today because I think somebody needs to hear it on this episode. Let's go ahead though and move on to a more uplifting story the story of a a, a demonic cat and a madman with a bone to pick or would it be a claw to pick because cats have claw cats have bones too so it doesn't matter we are traveling to we are traveling to london so mccall get that helicopter going get it warmed up now we're going, and while he's warming it up, we're giving this. He's like, I want to hear the introduction, too. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just work on the copter, bro. I'm giving the, I go, hey, guys, come over here. We're going to talk about this. McCall can't hear this part. So we're going to go to London. And it's October 1943. And one of you guys goes, "What? what's the exact date? And I go, hmm. Kind of look down at my feet. And I go, it's one of those stories. And everyone's like, ah. Now, <laughs> what I mean by that. Is there are a lot of stories that I come across that are super vague. And they shouldn't be. Because the people involved in the stories, this would be the most important night of their life. So generally, when a story doesn't have a specific date, it tends to lean towards it being fake. And I originally heard about this story on backpacker verse and at this point it's almost a full revolt and i'm like guys 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 hold on hold on now for you guys who don't know who are new to the show backpacker verse i haven't talked about him in a while i've very been very very restrained however the episode i did recently about the popo Bawa, i found that on backpacker verse and that was a great episode so mm, don't get mad backpacker verse for the new listeners is a website that is basically like a california hippie psychic website but they also tell ghost stories but they make them up now this one's not made up neither was the popo bawa well i mean they might be made up in the fact that they don't exist but i'm so sorry no you exist popo bawa the thing is is that they tend to exaggerate certain details so we're gonna go into that in mind so we're gonna turn back and i made mccall wear big headphones big of those big old aviator headphones i'm like you can take this off now we are hopping back in the carpenter copter. Take us up, McCall. We're going to London. Again, not a very specific place. And there we're going to meet a man. Well, I guess that is a city. Pueblo, Colorado. I didn't give you the address of the McDonald's. That was real, though. Anyways, we're traveling to London. And there we're going to meet Howard Leland. So hello, Howard. Pip, pip. Cheerio. He's shaking hands with this guy. He works for something called air raid precautions because it's 1943. Did I say that? So we're in the middle of World War II. So we're not just going to London and like drinking milkshakes over there and stuff. We might be, but there's also bombs dropping the threat of Nazi Germany overtaking the planet. Really? We're meeting this guy. He's works with the air raid precautions, which in my notes I put, what the hell is that? Like, what is you have your air raid precaution is the air raid siren. I can just imagine these sirens are going. Bombs. And a guy's like, look out, everyone. Bombs. Bombs. Run, run. It's like the one thing you can't hear is the man running through the city going, bombs, everyone. Bombs. What is your job? That's a made up job. That's the job that they give. The idiots who can't have any other job in the military or really in civilian life. Yes, Howard, you're warning people of the bombs. You're doing a good job, a real good job. Here's your medal. It's a gold star. He's like, thank you. Dude, you either hear the air raid siren or you don't. The guy running through the street. Now, I'm sure someone might email me and be like, this is actually like a super integral job. They repaired the air raid sirens. Whatever. Air raid precautions. Look out, guys. Bombs are coming. Huge explosions everywhere. See? Anyways, there's a bombing run. He's out in the middle of nowhere, and there's a bombing run. No, no, no. Basically, it's the sound effects of a game of battleship, electronic battleship. But, in real life. So, he's running, he's outrunning these bombs. He's like, oh no, I gotta warn people of these bombs that have already fallen. Look out, guys. A bomb blew up. He jumps into an abandoned house, and he's sitting there in the dark. Uh, I better get my torch, because that's what we call it in Britain. We don't call it a flashlight. Also, I should get one of my cigarettes, but I'm going to use the American word for that. Ah, Puffing on a cigarette with my torch. Anyways, Howard is sitting there at the bottom of the stairs, and he gets a feeling that something's watching him. He's like, there must be something else in this house. Something not too pleasant. As I smoke my cigarette. And then he notices that he's getting the feeling of being watched from the top of the stairs. I will crane my head ever so slightly to... (gasps) He gasps. He sees at the top of the stairs a giant... (laughs) A giant cat. Now that's not scary right i mean unless it's like a bobcat actually uh britain has a huge thing like you know we have bigfoots in america supposedly and every other cryptid mothman and Melonheads, and um i don't know you can listen to past episodes i've covered them all in Britain, they have giant cats. They're, that's their big thing. They have people who hunt gi- giant cat hunters. They can pronounce it correctly. And they are, like, getting footage of the giant cat. It's so lame. Because when I grew up reading the 40 and Times magazine, which covers, like, all just weird stuff around the world, there was always a section just on giant cats in Britain. And I'd always skip it. I'm like, who cares? Who cares if there's giant cats in Britain? Either there are or there aren't. I don't care either way. If it turns out Bigfoot's real, that has implications for a lot of different things. Like how could something that big be existing? Do we then give credence to other supernatural phenomenon if it turns out that Bigfoot was real? This is just a giant cat. Who cares? It's such a big thing over there. There's actually a term for them. They're called like ABCs or something like that, like all black cats or something like that. I don't I don't remember what but there was like an acronym for them. But anyways, this isn't one of those. This isn't one of those. This is a cooler cat. I want to waste your time with just story about a giant cat, Garfield. Hey, this actually is a tabby. Garfield's a tabby, right? But anyways, it's a big tabby cat. You're like, Jason. That's that's not. That's even less scary than an all black cat. At least then I imagine it's some sort of panther. Now I'm just imagining it's basically Garfield up there. Heathcliff is up there getting ready to go into a garbage can. I wonder if Heathcliff and Garfield got in a fight, who would win? I I actually I know that Garfield's Garfield has like that weight behind him. He has that mass. But Heathcliff, you know, he's out and about. You guys are like, dude, I'm not. (laughs) 43 years old, I have no idea who Heathcliff is. Anyways, back to the story. Howard's smoking a cigarette. Bottom of the stairs. Looks up. He sees this giant cat. But again, it's not just any cat. It has glowing red eyes. What? See, guys, I told you it's going to be spooky. And long horns. Whoa, dude, have you ever seen a cat with horns? I know you haven't. This is a demon cat. Cat from hell. Howard's looking at this thing. It's at the top of the stairs looking at him. Making that super annoying cat noise. And Howard snuffs out his cigarette. Focuses his torch on the creature. And jumps through the air towards him. Giant claws. Sling! Out of those big old cat paws. It's coming down the stairs. And at that moment, two of his buddies, who also work for the air raid precautions people, bust through the door. Did you know bombs just fell? We're doing our job. And Howard looks over at his buddies, who came through the door, and he looks back at the cat, and it's so close. And it's going... And fades from existence. But the echo... Continued on for a little bit longer. Cat. Never got to him. But what would have happened if it did? Well, that's the part Backpackerverse made up. That's the part Backpacker... This is the way I first came across this story. So this is a real cryptid story that has been going around in the paranormal world. It's not super popular, but you can find a lot of sources on this. But it's not it's not one of the big cats of Britain. According to Backpackerverse, the cat comes down. And slashes his arm open with big old grody cat claws. And then super realistic blood <laughs> shot out of the wound. And he goes, No. And then the cat disappeared. And he's holding his bloodied arm and is chewed up to pieces. And to this day, the scar still remains of the demon cat that none of that happened. None of that happened. There's a question over whether or not the story happened at all. And I think it did. I think it's vague, which makes me a little suspicious about it. But there's, there's some follow-up to this. But then Backpackerverse just adds that he actually gets maimed by this thing. What? Well, okay, Backpackerverse. You got to make it a little sexier, I guess. But let's go back to the real story. So apparently what happened was Howard Leland was traumatized by this event. Traumatized by this event, right? So, Howard Leland ends up meeting or going to a clairvoyant named John Pendragon and goes, Oh, you know, I heard that, I heard that you're really good at making stuff up and people believing you. And John's like, That's how I get paid. That is 100% my profession. I simply make vague guesses and rubes like you believe me. ho, ho, ho. And Howard Leland goes, Perfect, that's what I want. He goes, I ran into this demon cat at this house. And he pulls a map out. He goes, This house right here. And John Pendragon goes, this house? And puts his finger on the map. And he's like, yeah, that's the house I just pointed at. And he goes, oh, yes, that house. My 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 powers, my quote-unquote powers are activating. I can tell you what happened at that house. I can tell you that something's in my head now. I'm seeing images. I see a man surrounded by a dozen. No, a hundred Angry, hate-filled cats. And now he's he's holding, he's looking directly at the camera. He's looking directly at the camera. He's holding a noose. Oh, the connection's been broken. And Howard Leland's like, that sounds insane. But you're saying it, and you're a renowned clairvoyant, so I'm going to believe you. Now, Howard Leland apparently goes and does more research on this house. And finds out that the former occupant was actually a practitioner. The dark arts, black magic. This guy was trying to do some really heavy metal stuff before heavy metal was even invented, and he did it with cats. He had apparently, according to neighbors, hundreds of cats in his house. They're just hanging out. You can't walk anywhere without stepping on two or three cats, and of course they're hate-filled because one there's a hundred cats crammed into a house. So you can just imagine the smell. Two, he's sacrificing them. This former occupant is taking these cats. He has an altar built for him, and he's sacrificing these cats. Now, eventually, I love this. Uh, This is a quote from um, cryptids.fandom.com. This is probably the greatest sentence researching this. Quote, he eventually went insane and hung himself at the top of the staircase. I don't think... Hanging yourself is the symptom of being insane. I don't think he eventually went insane. I think he was insane the first time he started sacrificing cats. And I would definitely say he was insane when... The time when he said he had 50 cats in his house. And he goes, you know what I need? Double this amount. I think that's when he went insane. I don't think he eventually... I don't think the hanging himself was the sign he was insane. He was insane long before that. So... You go, Jason, this is interesting, because you just said to this guy, this clairvoyant John Pendragon, was a hack, was a fraud. You're saying all that stuff, allegedly. I didn't say allegedly back then, but I'm saying it now, so it still works. But Howard Leland went and he did this research on his own, and the thing matched up. Well, here's my thing. What I believe happened with this story, again, assuming any of it's a truce, assuming it's not some viral marketing stunt for some horned cat 8-bit roguelike video game that's, that's going to come out in 8 months, assuming it's not that. Here's the thing. Generally, what happens, and it's really easy to control the narrative on this. Let's say I'm a clairvoyant. I've told you I used to work for a psychic phone hotline and all that stuff. It's a really easy trick to pull. You come to, you call me up and you'll say, hey, can I make an appointment? I need to check out something. I have this experience with a horned cat. And, and then I kind of put the phone on hold and I laugh and then I go, ah, uh, yes, yes. The horned cat. Yes, tell me some information about yourself so I can prepare something. And you coach, you're maybe not that blunt about it, but you say it in such a way that the person gives you information, they don't know you're giving information. And in this case, all John Pendragon would have to know is, do you roughly know the location of where you are at? And he'd be like, yes, I was was during that bombing run. I worked for the Air Raid Precautions Board. John puts the phone back on hold. Oh my God, I'm going to make so much money off this rube. Oh yes, you do a lot of great service for our country, sir. Once he knows a general location, you can just do research. Because if this story's true, and again, we're going to assume it's true, Howard Leland was able to find this information, which means that John Pendragon could have found the information first and had the "quote unquote" vision. a very, very typical scam. So it's possible I will believe that I will believe that there was an occultist sacrificing cats because we know people do that. I would believe a man ran into a demon cat during a bombing run because, I mean, why not? It's funny because I would believe both of those stories before I would believe John Pendragon had any sort of clairvoyant power. That's one thing, you know, now that I'm saying that, that's one thing that I'm extremely skeptical on. Because I know the tricks behind it. Because I've done tarot cards and I've done fortune telling and stuff like that. I know how it works. And not only do I know how it works... I'm really good at it, and I do it all the time. It's just a subtle manipulation, and it's looking for reactions in you. And that's when I'm trying to figure out something about you, when I'm reading your future or your past. Because when I do the tarot cards, first off, I tell you what your past is, then I tell you your current situation, and then I tell you your future. By the time I get to your future, you're so convinced. Now this has become a debunking psychic thing. Goodbye, horned cat! Now that you've become so convinced because I got the first two kind of right, then I tool the message. So I'll be looking at you, looking for subtle shifts in your eyes. And you'll do it either way. It won't be like, I'll be like, oh, you used to rob banks and your eyes shift from side to side. If I'm wrong, you'll have a reaction too. And some people try to really hide their body language because they know the trick. I've done it over the phone. When I was a telephone psychic, I've done it over the phone. That's just guesswork. But... Yeah, so it's I'm super skeptical of it because I've never seen anyone fake a haunting other than go, "What's over there? Oh, your mom!" <laughs> like, fine, like you you made me turn around when we were in a haunted field. You tricked me, but I've never seen anyone in real life fake a haunting or fake a UFO sighting and things like that. I have faked psychic powers, so I'm super suspicious of that stuff. So, anyways. Haunted demon cat? We'll bring him back. So so it's possible that there is a demon cat. And that even offers up a more interesting question. Was the demon cat a conglomeration of a thousand cat souls that had been sacrificed in this house? That had become a monster cat? Or, how I like to think of it, a man who spends his life sacrificing cats which I don't normally like to think about guys who do that, but a man who spends his life sacrificing cats must really, really hate cats, right? He could have picked anything to sacrifice. Frogs or mushrooms or something. But he sacrificed cats for unlimited power. And in the end, it's his soul trapped in that house in the form of the thing he hates the most. A cat. And not only is he trapped as a demon cat, he's impotent. He's a useless demon cat. He couldn't even attack this one dude. He just jumped down the stairs and then disappeared when his buddy showed up. So you could have a man looking for power from beyond the veil, calling on the Dark Ones to turn his fury and rage into something useful to him. But instead, he just became a big old house cat with long horns, red eyes. And if there's any justice in the universe... When this house cat isn't jumping down the stairs and disappearing. doesn't even get to eat lasagna. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead radio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.